2: Victor Glenn was known by many from his years as president of Evangelistic Faith Mission in Bedford, Indiana. He was also known as a serious expositor of the Word. This sermon was taken from 1976 at a camp meeting held annually at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio. He titles this wonderful sermon, No Man Gave Unto Him, and I know you're going to enjoy it.
0: I don't want to take
2: Shall we look to the Lord in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we always need Thee, but as we stand here in behalf of the silent multitudes, men and women shrouded by darkness on their road to eternity many of them untouched with the gospel. I pray thee, Spirit of God, that thou shalt somehow speak to us. Speak to us through thy Holy Spirit and through thy word, that our hearts shall be stirred to the depth. O Lord, help us not to fail those who can't speak for themselves. Help us, Lord, that we may represent them as we would want to be represented should our places be changed. Oh, stir every one of our hearts, Lord. Stir my heart to do. May we hear the sob and the wail of the lost, even world on its road to eternity. May we realize that each of us as Thy children have a responsibility that someday we shall answer whether we've been faithful in our responsibility in doing what you would have us to do or not. In Jesus name Amen. A verse of scripture taken from a very familiar passage and I certainly will appreciate your prayers as you can tell I'm still having trouble with the flu and it's affected my tubes and my voice you pray that God will give me the touch that I need. Lifting a verse of scripture out of a very familiar incident related by Jesus while here in this world. The story of the prodigal son. I'm only, only going to read one verse of scripture from the 15th chapter. The gospel according to Luke, the 16th verse. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks, the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. He would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now there's some startling similarities between the condition the prodigal was in, and the condition the men and women are in without the gospel of Christ. One thing I noticed that is similar between the prodigal and those unevangelized is the fact that the prodigal was far far from his father's home his father's love he was far indeed my friend the heathen are far from God how far they are you do not measure in distance of miles you measure by the spiritual darkness darkness so dense that on many occasions you feel you can almost reach out and touch it. It's so dark. The denseness is so great. Not only was he far from his father's love, he was in this awful darkness that I speak about. And just to illustrate a little of that darkness and any illustrations I use that pertain to fields in which we labor, merely the ones that I know, I was preaching in a village about 550 miles inland in Egypt. One Sunday morning, or one morning at least, we were going after the morning service to where we were to take our meal. As we walked down the little winding narrow village street, so narrow you could reach out and touch the huts on either side, someone stepped out of one of those huts. They said an old man is dying inside of this hut. Will you come in and pray for him? Several of the missionaries were with me. Some of our pastors were with me. Some of our people were with me. I said certainly we will go in. We went into a hut that was dark. Our eyes had to adjust before we could even see where the man that they were speaking about was. and He was lying on the dirt on the floor. Lying with his head pillowed in his wife's lap. I asked, what they thought his age might be for the older folks in that country they did not keep vital statistics and they do not know what their ages actually are. They said we're not sure, maybe he's 85, maybe 90 years of age. Has he ever been saved? No. Does he know anything about salvation? No. I turned to our preachers and I said man we can't let this man die without God. We can't let him go out to the darkness of eternity without God. We got down there on the ground by his side for the floor and the ground were the same. And our pastors instructed him the way of salvation. They told him how to pray. They helped him in every manner and every way they possibly could. I don't know of one single stone that was left unturned. And yet when I left that hut, I left with an awful sense of despair and hopelessness. For we'd reached that man too late. He was too near eternity to grasp one single thing that we'd tried to convey to him. I thought to myself, my God, here is a man 85 or 90 years of age, and the first time he comes in contact with the gospel, He's too near eternity to know what it's all about. And it seemed to picture to me the terrible darkness of men and women wandering on their pathway to an endless eternity. I said, Oh, God, help me. Help me, Lord, somehow that the light can dawn upon the hearts and understanding of men and women before it's too late. Yes. He was far. He was in a desperate condition. But there's one point that is different between the prodigal and those that are unevangelized. The prodigal could remember a better day. In fact, it was on the wings of memory that caused him to come out of the pig pen and start back to Father's house. He said, I can remember that back in Father's house as a table well spread. Servants awaited on my every need. Here I am with an empty stomach. I would have filled my stomach with the hash, but no man even gave me the hash to eat. On the wings of memory was the motivation that caused him to crawl out, climb out from the pig pen to make his way back to Father's house. He can remember a better day, but not so with those unevangelized. Their past is darkness. Their present is darkness. And unless we take the gospel to them, their future is darkness and despair. There are two words that I would like to emphasize for a little while this afternoon. No man gave unto him. Those two words are the words man and gave. No man gave unto him. I wonder when we stand before the blazing bar of God's judgment, how many countless heathens shall pass by and charge us with having failed to give to them the bread of life. How many will charge us with failure to obey the great commission and carry the gospel of Christ to those that never had it? No man gave unto him. God has always used man. I read in the scriptures where there was a gap. The heads needed to have that gap made up. And God sent an angel out to search for a man. And the sad refrain was given, I searched for a man, but I found none. I wonder how many glaring gaps there are on mission fields today, where God the Holy Spirit searched throughout the ranks of his children in our country, looking for a man, looking for someone to make up the hedge and to fill up the gap. And too often the refrain is, there was none. There was none. I don't know exactly why God placed such an awesome responsibility upon man. Here's the most tremendous responsibility we could ever be involved in. The task of reconciling men and women to God and realizing that if we fail, there shall be countless numbers of souls that shall perish. Why did God do this? Knowing man's frailty for every bottleneck has always been on the pot of man, every disobedient act has always been on the part of man every failure has been on the part of man why did God put such an awesome task upon frail, feeble humanity the only answer I know is this what better messenger does he have than to take a redeemed, saved and sanctified individual who has been snatched as a brand for the burning who has been redeemed from the darkness of sin's night who was liberated from the slavery of sin's bondage to go out and tell others once I was bound with sin's galling fetters but he has set me free once my eyes were blinded by sin but he touched my eyes and now I see Once I was addicted to the habits of sin, but he liberated me. God could have no better messenger than a redeemed, sanctified individual to carry the glorious message of salvation to those that are lost. We live in a press button age. When with the press of a button we can accomplish so many things. We can light our buildings, we can cool our buildings, we can heat our buildings, we can cook our food, we can do so many things with the press of a button. And I want to say my friend we cannot win a lost world with the press of a the button. There is that human element that must enter into the picture. God still counts on man. God still counts on man. I say use all the modern developments that are scriptural and usable. But you can't leave man out of the picture. It takes men, it takes women, that have yielded themselves to the voice of the master and said, Lord, here am I, send me, and are willing to go where he would have them to go. Praise his matchless name one man came up with a plan he would evangelize Africa by literature. I believe in literature. A million people each week become literate in this world. And the tragedy is there is too little good literature in their own language to place in their hands. He said he would fly over Africa with a helicopter. And drop literature in the languages of the people. I'm sure that he'd find some places in Africa so unfriendly. If he didn't get shot down it would be a modern day miracle. He would find vast areas where languages have not been reduced to writing. He would find thousands of people that could not read one single word on any printed page he could ever find. He could tell them in literature and they'd still go on in darkness to hell. Literature alone cannot be the answer. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to say, here am I, send me. Somebody has to respond to the call of God saying goodbye to loved ones and cherished plans and found ambitions to go out to people that they never knew, to learn a new and strange language and new and strange customs and cultures, to live with unfriendly, many times an unfriendly people, and through their lives, let the beauty of Jesus be seen. It takes man. It takes man. Someone else said, I will evangelize the world by radio. Well, I certainly believe in radio. We have it going around in many parts of the world in many languages. My friend, I do not feel it is possible to stand behind a microphone and evangelize the world entirely. I can take that man to places where they have no radios. What shall we do with them? Let them be lost? No. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to go. Someone has to say, Lord, here am I, send me. redeem man. Answering the call of God to carry the unsearchable reaches of Christ. those are in darkness. Over in one of the Middle Eastern countries where life is cheap, where at that time communications were poor, the ruler of that country lived in one city, his mother lived in a city some distance away. She became desperately ill. He wanted to know each day how his mother was getting along. He formed a human line of people, men, stretching across the desert sands. I don't know how many miles, many, many miles, that human line stretched. And each morning the word would start from one to the next, how that mother, the king's mother was. And the reply would come back the same way. At least twice a day that message went back one way and then the other. And they said under the boiling sun and the scorching sands and its heat, men would fall and faint in their tracks as they stood there waiting but there would always be someone to jump into that vacancy with a shout on their lips the king's message must go through the king's message must go through my friend if an earthly king could command his subjects that way and i could tell you of gaps across this country and across this world where the king's message is not going through because that gap has not been filled. God must have a man. He must have a person that is dedicated, consecrated, yielded to the voice of the master. Thank God for the results when you go with this message. 1970, I was in Ethiopia I was desperately ill by the time I got to the field. I was sick when I left. I should have known better than trying to go. By the time I reached the province of Eritrea and Ethiopia, I was so sick I could hardly walk down the plane ramp over to the terminal. The missionaries took me at that time. We had a communication, a large communication base. Tag Station, it was called in Azmar, the capital of the province of Eritrea. There was American doctors, and they took me to the American doctors. Very fine young American doctor, very efficient. He examined me, found I had a very serious heart condition. And he told them he said if he was in the armed forces, we would we we can't care for him here. We'd put him on a plane at once and send him to Germany where we have better facilities. But since he's a civilian, we cannot do that. First they said, put him on a plane and send him back to the States as quickly as you can. Then he examined me one more time. No, he said he wouldn't make it back. He'd die before he he gets back. Where I was located then was about 7,500 foot elevation. And it was acting very adversely on my heart this high altitude they took me down to the seaport city of Massawa we have a little church down there that has gone through battle after battle the government has closed it several times every time that church starts to move and revivals begin to burn and people start getting to God the government would close the church down we had a number of young people gloriously saved while I was there for two or three weeks whatever the length of time was they didn't miss one single day to come to my room to see me they would come sometimes and I would be so sick I did not feel like talking and they'd pray I remember one young man coming in one night he'd only been saved two or three years he worked for a shopkeeper in the in the city of Mishawa This shopkeeper had told him he was an older Italian man, you stay on and work with me, and I'll give you this business in just a few years. This young man, his name was Musfun. Musfun, he came in, he saw how sick I was. He got down on his knees by a chair beside the room and started praying. I had such severe chest pains, I didn't know whether I was going to survive or not. But as best food begin to pull up on the prayer bells of heaven I could feel that pain going away I could feel rest coming and I hadn't been able to sleep for a good while and a few moments I'd gone sound asleep I don't know how long I slept but when I awakened maybe two hours or longer later I looked over the side of the room, and there on his knees was this young man. He hadn't arisen. He was on his knees pleading with God. Oh, God, spare Brother Glenn's life. I thought of the young man who three years before had been in the darkness of heathen night, transformed by the grace of God, who knew how to get his prayers through. Oh, my friend, this is the reason that God wants us to carry the gospel. It has power to revolutionize their lives and to change them and to quicken them by power divine. That young man, a few weeks later, God called him to preach. He went to the owner of the shop that he worked for and said, I'm quitting. I'm going to start preaching. Why, he said, didn't you understand our agreement? You worked so long, and I give you this this business here. You can have it. It, It'll be yours. And to a young man coming impoverished out of a little village, hardly knowing a little more than enough to provide for his temporal existence, that sounded like a pretty good proposition. He said, sir, no. I've got to go and preach. I must go. Well, he said... Surely they must be paying you a whole lot to to leave something like this. No. He said, sir, they're paying me much less than you are. But I have heard a voice. I have heard the voice of God speaking to me. I have people that have never heard the gospel in my own country. I must go and carry the gospel to them. He was stationed one of our churches in the capital of Ethiopia Addis Ababa. One Sunday morning while he was having service, the soldiers came in and arrested him and the whole congregation, took them all down to the prison. First they put them all together and they began to shout and praise God and have such a time that they decided that wasn't really the right way to handle it. So they decided they'd break them up and and scatter them throughout all the different cells and parts of the prison. My friend, everywhere they put them, they set that part of the prison on fire with the glory of God, with the shouts of victory, with the praises of God. They let those people in those, behind those prison bars know that Jesus Christ could set them free from a prison fire worse than what they were in. About 24 hours, the head of the prison decided he had more on his hands than he knew how to handle. He came and told him, I'm going to let you out if you promise never to have any more services. Our pastor said, sir, I would not make you a promise like that for anything in this world. I'll have a service every time I have a chance. And if ever you want to get saved, I'll be glad to pray with you and help you get to God. Oh, my friend, I'm glad that when men and women dedicate their lives to the proclamation of the gospel of Christ and carry the message of salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth, God will give us fruit. Amen. Today as we're here in this service, he's in that southern part of Ethiopia that we just entered a few months back. That to our knowledge, no missionary has ever gone to before. Preaching the gospel of salvation and the wholeness to those that are in darkness. That was the young man that prayed for me back in 1970 when I was hanging between life and death. Oh, thank God for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And when God sends us out to carry this message, he puts something within our hands that we need not be ashamed of. It can transform lives and quicken men and women all over this world. Yes, God must have men. God must have men. But let us notice the word No man gave, gave. We usually think in connection with that word of giving of our money. But my friend, there is a greater gift than your money and that's you. That's you. If God gets you entirely, he'll have your money. He'll have your talents. He'll have your resources. There will not be one single thing he does not have if he has you. To live with such an abundance and such a plenty. My friend, where hunger does not stalk through the streets as it does in many parts of the world. Where in Ethiopia alone last year, according to statistics, one half million people died of starvation. One man walked out of the house he was staying in and walked a few feet down the road and counted 79 bodies of people that had died of starvation there is a belt across africa where drought has struck that is known as the famine belt where literally hundreds of thousands have starved to death yes there is hunger There are physical needs throughout this world. Our orphanage in Dicamra, Eritrea, the missionary in charge at that time told me this experience. He said a woman came to the orphanage gates with a little baby. She asked them to take her baby. They didn't understand at first. They thought she wanted something to eat and they brought her food. She was hungry, she thanked them for the food. But she said, I understand you take children in here. My baby's starving. Would you please take it into the orphanage? They said to her, lady, our orphanage is filled. There's not a single space left in any of the dormitories. We don't have any room left for another orphan to be placed in here. And they, they thought they'd explain to her, they said, we'd like to, but we just don't have room. But that mother, everyone, one, any time would come close enough to hear her cry, she would cry out, have mercy, have mercy, my baby is going to die of starvation. They'd go back, they'd explain again, lady, the orphanage is full. We're not turning your baby down because we're hard-hearted. We'd love to take your baby. But the orphanage is full. The missionary said when we closed the gates that night we thought surely she would weary and go away. But on the next day the first one's out. Heard the pletiful cry of that mother. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. My baby is going to starved to death." They went over and explained again, but what good would that do? The missionary said, I sat down. My wife, the single lady, was working at the orphanage. We sat down to eat breakfast. The single lady, tears started running down her cheeks. She said, "Uh, excuse me, I'm not hungry this morning. I'm going to my room. The wife said, husband, as tears ran down her face, husband, I'm not hungry this morning. I think I'll go to my room. He said, I realized then we had to do something. I said, wife, stay. Let's, let's see what we can do. What do you think we ought to do? He said, husband, last night I got to thinking, what if that was me and my baby? And I was begging for help. No one would help me. I got out of bed, you were asleep, and I got out of bed. I went into the living room and got down on my knees and I said, oh God, this is killing us. We don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do. Will you show us what to do? Husband, I had the Bible in front of me and I opened the Bible. I said, God, could you show me something out of your word that would give us some kind of direction? said, husband, my eyes fell instantly upon these words. If you have this world's good and close up your bowel of compassion, how dwelleth the love of Christ in you. Oh, husband, we don't have room in the arms. but we can crowd that little baby into our own living quarters. Let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. They went out and told that mother, we're going to take your child. Of course she was glad. That was the reason she'd stayed. That was the reason she'd walked so many miles. But when she dropped that little baby into the missionary's arms, she put her hands up to her face and started down the road wailing at the top of her voice. For she was still a mother. And only the desperation of hunger and starvation had caused her to leave her little baby in the army. Who of us this afternoon could be confronted with a situation like that and remain unmoved? I doubt if any, your heart would have to be made out of reinforced concrete to see a little bony, starving baby knowing that you had something to give it to eat and did nothing about it. I'm sure that you would reach out your hands and say, Here, I'll do what I can. I'll share my food with that baby. Oh, my friend, what about the millions that starve for the bread of life? Does it stir us that deeply? Does a little starving baby stir our emotions more than masses of men and women? Made in the likeness of God. They're going to inhabit eternity somewhere. Doesn't that awaken anything within us? Are we only stirred by emotional impacts of starving children and forgetting the vast, teeming mass of men and women for whom nothing has been provided? While you and I sat and feed so richly at Father's table, maybe this is the first cat meeting of this season that you have had opportunity to attend, Doubtless I speak to some today that will have opportunity to attend several camp meetings this summer. What about those that never heard of a camp meeting? What about those that never heard a gospel message? What about those that the light has never shone upon their benighted pathway? What about them? No man gave unto him. No man gave unto him. I think of churches when they need a pastor. They'll ask the superintendent, whoever, to give them a list of eligible pastors. And they'll march by and parade and preach their trial sermons. And a lot of foolish questions will be asked. How many children do they have? Has that made any difference? Does the wife play the piano? How long does he preach? And a lot of other silly, senseless questions. While millions (laughs) perish without anybody to preach to them, without anybody to care, without anybody to pass their way and hand them the bread of life. My friend, when I find people that get so critical, I think it's because they've been so busy eating that they've not been passing the bread of life to anyone else. You know, we, we become pretty good critics. We can eat and eat and eat and eat, and eat till it has to be pretty good before it can, it can stimulate our appetite. Well, millions have nothing provided for them. No man gave unto him. I wish that cry would cause your soul to shudder this afternoon. To think that while we are provided for so bountifully that there are millions that nothing has been provided for, and nothing shall be provided for unless we do what God expects of us to do. I think of that village that's Little town, brother, brother Leonard Sankey mentioned it this morning. I'd intended to, I, I, I'll go ahead and a lot of you didn't hear him tell about it. But down in Honduras when Hurricane Fifi struck down there a year ago last September, thousands of people hurled out into eternity. We were able on radio alone to raise approximately $100,000 for relief. We were able to build one entire colony of housing for people that had lost their homes. I heard of stories that would almost tear your heart apart. Of people that were so near starvation that when helicopters would drop the food, they would almost tear each other up limb by limb, limb from limb, to try to get to the food. But the thing that stirred my soul the most was a fact, a fact I did not know until after the hurricane. That from a little town of 6,000 people, a representative would come to our missionary, Gary Gellerman, and said, bring us the gospel. Gary was busy every day and every night. His native were his national workers working with him were busy every day and every night. He had no one that he knew of that could go he said, I'll send as soon as I can or I'll come as soon as I can. But little did he know that half the population of that town would be swept into eternity by the hurricane. Three thousand souls going out into eternity that had asked for the gospel. That had asked for the gospel. And we didn't send it to them. Oh, my God, when I heard that, you don't know the feeling of my soul. I thought of the places where you have to beg people to go to church and beg people to get to God and beg people to come to an altar. And 3,000, not Christ rejecters, they hadn't had a chance to reject Him. 3,000 souls swept out on the storms of the hurricane, into eternity that pled for the gospel, and no man gave unto them. Why? Why was God's Bible school back a few years ago so deeply in debt they could not take some students that might have come? God's children didn't give as freely, maybe as they should have, that that student could have come that might have been ready to have answered that call. I don't know. Only the judgment, only the judgment will reveal to us the real reason why 3,000 people that won the gospel didn't get it. How many more that died in that hurricane that they have asked for the gospel didn't receive it? I cannot tell you. But I know of 3,000 that did. Oh, my friend, it causes my soul to shudder and groan as I think of facing 3,000 people at the judgment. Did I somehow fail? I didn't even know of their request, but could I have done anything? There's nothing I can do about those, but there's something I can do and you can do about the thousands that yet remain unevangelized. That they need not share their final fate of asking and wanting and no man giving. No man gave unto him. To me those words Ought to chill your soul. I wish they'd vibrate through your thinking. No man gave unto me
0: been I don't want to lose the Been past. I don't wanna lose the f-